We are in, as I said, a series on healthy church. And last week, if you were here, Pastor Michael was talking about a healthy church culture. And what he was saying about a healthy church culture is that it's never fully established. We want to be trending healthy, right? We're, we're, we're broken sinners and um, you know, we're being made more like Christ as we grow in him. But it's never fully, we never fully arrive this side of heaven. And so a culture in a church, our goal is not to arrive the destiny, I mean, eventually that's the goal, but we, we know that we're never gonna be 100% healthy as a church until we're united with our groom, with, until we as the church collectively are united with Christ. Then we'll be perfected and, and made like him. But in the meantime, we wanna be trending that way as a culture. So keep that in mind. Now, before I, I go any further, I just wanna ask by show of hands, has anyone here ever been a member of like a fitness club or a gym, anything like that? Raise your hand if you have. Quite a few hands, it's a lot of people. I will not ask you to keep your hand up if you're still a member or if you haven't been in the last three months or something like that. Um, but I joined a gym about a year and a half ago um, and what happened was I was missing racquetball. I really enjoyed racquetball in college and so I'm like, I wonder if anybody around here plays racquetball or has any interest in that. So I started talking to some of the guys here at the church, some of my friends and, and just getting word of mouth and there was actually a group of guys that were like, yeah, we'll play some racquetball. So we decided, all right, well, in order to do that, you probably have to go join a gym. So we went around, and we ended up going to a, a particular gym, and they had four racquetball courts. And we went in, and I said, all right, this will be great. We'll do this regularly. And so a group of us went in, and we went in. They were talking to us about it, and we were like, how can we get the cheapest possible rate so that we can play some racquetball. So that's really all that I'm interested in. I know the gym has other things, but I just am really interested in racquetball. So they said, well, if you, are you guys related? Because if you're related, you can get a family plan and that's the cheapest route. And we said, well, we're all brothers in Christ. So we said to him, yeah, we're, we're brothers in Christ. And, uh, and he goes, all right, that works. I'm like, cool. So then my conscience started getting me, I'm like, I, he may, not, he may not know what that means. So I'm like, just to clarify, we're not biological brothers. You know, we're, we're, we're brothers in Christ. You know, I just want to clarify. That means that we have the same connection to, to the Lord through Christ, but we're not actually brothers. And he goes, it's fine. You're good. Don't worry about it. So I was like, awesome. So we got this lesser rate to get in. And so here we are the first couple weeks. It was like every day, 5.30, 6 a.m., whatever it was. We go to the gym before work. I, we had a group text thread and... Just give it a little bit of time, maybe about a month in or so. First guy gets sidelined, hurt his back. Tried to make a play on a ball and whammed into the wall and racked his back pretty good. All right, he's out for the time being, needs a little breather. Give it another week or two. Next guy, elbow's hurting him. He can't play anymore. My text list is getting smaller and smaller for people I can play with. Turns out it's only, a limited, it's only a matter of time before I'm sidelined with my own injury. So my time came about eight months in. I went to hit a backhand and I planted and my body decided, hey, I'm not gonna stop. So the weight went over, I rolled my ankle, it ballooned up real nice and I had a good sprained ankle out of the deal. So here I was, have this gym membership. I realized, well, the one reason I got it, I can't participate in for at least two months. I don't know what I'm gonna do. And I started thinking, there's a lot more to my membership than just racquetball. Like, they have a swimming pool, they have a sauna, they have a hot tub, they have a basketball court, free weights, machines, they have, like, Pilates classes, obviously the racquetball, but, and then I remembered, hey, they actually said we could get a free session, each of us, with a personal trainer. 
I realized there's a lot of privileges to being a member at this club. I didn't take advantage of hardly any of them. And now, I, now I'm really not going to take advantage of any of them. And then I realized, but with those privileges, there were also responsibilities, right? I was a member of this club, so I had privileges as a member of the club. But in order for me to maintain my membership, I had to pay that due. So I had to, our family bill came once a month. We had to pay our family dues for our family plan. And so we paid that once a month. And then we also had to conduct ourselves in line with the rules of the facility. If you're a member here, this is expected. One of the things that's expected, you clean off the equipment after you use it. You don't abuse the equipment when you're using it. Things like that. You can't function there. You can't do things outside of certain times. If there are classes going on, you can't use this and that. So there were some expectations of being a member of this fitness club. There were a lot of privileges, but there were also certain expectations that came with being a member. And I don't think that that analogy is necessarily one-to-one with church membership, but we'll see as far as privileges and responsibilities are concerned, there are some similarities there. So as I mentioned, we're, we're in this series, The Healthy Church, and one of the things that, um, that I already mentioned is that Michael talked about trending healthy. We want to be a church culture that trends healthy. Well, if we want to, if a local church desires to be trending healthy, they want to trend healthy, then the individual members must also be trending healthy. Because the direction that the members of that church go are going to determine the direction that the church goes. So if we as members are trending healthy, then we can anticipate that the culture of the church will trend healthy as well. But if we're not, if we're neglecting the Lord, if we're not making uh, growing in him a priority for us, then we're going to find that the culture of the church is going to go that way as well. Now, a couple of questions before we dive into our text this morning that I just want to get out there. There are preliminary questions. First one, what is a member? Now, that might seem like a basic thing, but really, biblically speaking, what do we see as far as members are concerned? And it's actually a metaphor in the New Testament. Uh, what you see in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, kind of through 14, that whole thing. Um, the analogy is, the metaphor is just as a physical body is made up of many members many parts that serve different purposes. In the same way, the body of Christ is made up of many members that each serve different purposes. And so that's what you see in scripture for member. It is a metaphor and and it's a good analogy when you start to think about it. My entire body is made up of individual parts, but I'm still one body. And that's the same that's true of the body of Christ. It's made up of multiple parts, but each part is a member of the whole, makes up the whole. So the second question, is local church membership biblical? Now this is one that actually requires you to kind of step back a bit and and look a little bit more at the context. So at this time in history, um, the church was just being established. So as as the Bible's being written, in fact, much of the Bible is made up of letters to specific churches. So as the church is being established, what you have is the apostles primarily and then a few other key leaders going out Once they have the gospel, they were sent out by Christ, they go out and they go to certain regions, certain areas, and they plant these churches. But it's it's a very different thing than what we experience in in our culture, right? We still have church planters, we still have people going out and planting churches, but we're not establishing the church brand new like they were. So these churches were being planted in specific regions, specific areas, but they didn't have like what we have where, I mean, sometimes you can stand in a church parking lot, throw a rock, and you could hit three other churches. They didn't have that. There was one church for that area. And it was assumed 
that if you were a member of the body of Christ, you were a member of the church. You can look at, in this chart here, biblical culture. If you were a Christian, it was assumed, as you look at what the Bible says, as you look at Paul's analogies in these letters to the churches, it was assumed, if you've trusted in Jesus, that you are a member there. Now it's a little different in our time, I would say, right? I mean, back then they wouldn't have the formal membership processes that, that we have now where you go to, like here, for instance, you have our belong class, we have membership agreements. It's more formalized, so at the initial establishment of the church, it was if you've trusted in Christ, come on in, you're a part of the membership process. You're a member of the, ch- of the church. But now it's a little different, right? So we have a little bit of a different culture, so things are a little different. As a matter of fact, if you look up here, let's look at our current culture. Here's a few different categories for people that, for pretty much everyone sitting in these seats right now. We have visitors, and visitors could be family members that are in town, you know, visiting someone. They may be believers, they may not be believers, but they're, they're in our midst sometimes from Sunday to Sunday, and this is not their home church, so to speak, uh, but they may be a part of the universal church, which is made up of all believers, um, or they may not be, but that's visitors, right? Then you have seekers, and, and seekers, that's a wide term too, right? That could mean it's someone who's, who's the Spirit's drawing their heart, but they haven't made that decision yet, and so they're seeking to understand, what is this pull that I'm feeling in my heart? So they're showing up at church to find out what that is, or maybe they're just seeking to find out, what does this church believe? Maybe they're seeking just fellowship or friendship with other people and they're looking at more the social benefits of being a part of, part of the church. Um, but they're seeking something. Then you have church shoppers. Church shoppers, um, that can come out of a variety of things too. Maybe someone's, you're leaving a church because um, you were wounded deeply from some decisions that were made in leadership or maybe there were doctrinal errors that were being made and you didn't have confidence that you could stand under the leadership of that church anymore. And so now you're shopping around for the right church for you to be able to get involved in again. And you wouldn't think there would be a distinction between a tender and regular attender, but it's amazing. I was talking uh, with Pastor Michael about this, and he said there's a number of people that would call Village Church their church because they come to VBS, Extravaganza, and they come maybe to like a Christmas service or an Easter service, Good Friday service, something like that. And they would say, yep, that's my church. And they would be considered an attender. They're not a regular attender. That's the next category that we have. A regular attender is someone who comes regularly. Oftentimes, um, they could look indistinguishable from an official member. They can serve in a variety of ways. They're here regularly and, and diving into the community at the church. Uh, but they haven't made that step of faith, or not step of faith, but taken the official step of becoming a member. And then that's the last category. And again, that's not exhaustive. Those were just kind of off the top of our heads, different categories that now in our culture we tend to have as far as looking at, okay, who's sitting in our midst every Sunday? Who's, who's among us? And so obviously, it's not that the, the biblical culture didn't have their challenges. If you've read the epistles, you can tell they very much had a lot of dysfunction, a lot of challenges that they were working through. But they didn't have some of the the variety of of classifications that we tend to have now. And because of this, it can be kind of confusing when you're looking at churches. Okay, well, what is church membership? Is it a big deal? Do I really need to pursue that? Is that something I should look into? And so as we were talking, um, Pastor Michael recommended, I thought it was a good idea too, to share a few resources that we have as a church uh, you may or may not be aware we have a Q&A podcast that Village Church puts together, and it's a Q&A for the pastors, and it's generally Pastor Michael and Pastor Tim. 
And, and these are some of the ones that would be pertinent if you're wondering about church membership, whether Village is the place for you or whether, whether it's another church outside of this context. So you have episodes 169 and 170. What questions should I ask before committing to a church? Um, that's two-parter. So, and then episodes 541, is it important to be a church member? 542, what if my spouse doesn't want to become a member? 544, can a non-member be put under church discipline? So each of those, those, those are just, you know, a few uh, additional resources. If you're interested, you can certainly go to that. The podcast can be found either on the website or on a podcast app. You can just search for Village Church Q&A. But those are there. I just wanted to make those available so that if you have further questions or you want to just be interested in how Village Church views membership, that's another great place to go. All right, at this time, let's uh, turn to our text. Love to go to Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 7. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So that's gonna be our text that we're gonna camp out in this morning. But in order for us to understand what Paul's saying there, we need to actually look a little further at the context within which he's writing. So the letter of Ephesians is, the book of Ephesians is a letter to the church at Ephesus. And the first three chapters, he goes into great detail to explain who they are in Christ, what they've received in Christ, the fact that they have been saved. Each and every person who is saved is saved not of their own works, but by grace, and it's through faith. He goes on to say, not, um, not, of, not of works so that no one can boast. There's no boasting except in Jesus. And so these chapters are all about who we are in Christ, and they're very... Um, they're very compelling, they're very motivating, but it's more kind of positional, right? It's saying, this is who you are in Jesus. Now he's shifting. He gets to chapter four, and as we see in, in verse one, uh, that he's urging us to walk in a manner worthy. So he went from, because of all that, therefore, because of all these things that I just told you are yours in Christ Jesus, you need to choose to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So what does that look like? How are we going to walk in a manner worthy? Well, let's look at the preceding two verses in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Um, he says, Now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so that... I highlighted it in blue, according to the power at work within us. Brothers and sisters, if we want to walk in such a manner that is worthy of the calling to which we've been called, that's going to be our ticket right there. According to the power that's at work within us. We need to realize that if we try to accomplish this by walking in our flesh, if we try to just muster up the strength in ourselves, we will fail miserably, we'll hurt ourselves, and we'll hurt others in the process. 
So if we want to walk in a manner worthy, it starts with realizing that the power that we need to do that doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from the Holy Spirit who's at work within us. We have to start there. So that actually brings us then, what does this look like, right? Walk in a manner worthy. Okay, so we have to walk by the Spirit, but specifically, how are we supposed to do this? That brings us to point number one this morning. Healthy church members pursue healthy relationships. So let's look at the text again. Verse two then. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I don't know about you, but when I hear the humility, gentleness, patience, I immediately think of the fruit of the Spirit. And that should be an indication as well, right? This isn't something we can produce in our own. It's produced by the Spirit at work within us. But it's interesting, each of these terms are about relationship. They're all relational terms that are used. So let's look at each one of them, the ones that are highlighted in blue. First, we'll start with humility because this is the starting place that we have in our text. So this should be a marker of those who are members of Christ's body, humility. It's really interesting, when you look at the Greek, it's actually a compound word for humility. And the reason it's a compound word is because in Grecian culture, they didn't have a word for humility. So it actually means lowliness of mind. Then it was, it was made to essentially be an insult. If someone said they were low, low of mind, lowliness of mind, in the way that they would say it in the Greek, it was an insult uh, when it would be said, because it was not a virtue. We look at it in, in Christianity, we see that humility is pivotal. It starts there, that's the starting point. But when you look at that culture at that time, and even when you look at the culture around us, those who get the most praise, don't usually ooze humility. Um, and that's just the, the value system of the world is gonna be different than the value system of the church. We have to expect that. And God expects us to be humble. Now, this should be an easy thing in light of the gospel. It's not easy to always walk in humility, but if we keep the gospel ever before us, there's no other appropriate response. We have nothing to boast in other than what Christ has accomplished for us and freely given to us. So there's no room for arrogance. All that we can do is respond with humility. That's the only appropriate response when we come into contact with the gospel. Now, to say it's easy again is not right? Because we take our eyes off of Christ, we forget the gospel moment by moment, and we battle our flesh through the Holy Spirit. But if we keep the gospel ever before us, the humility aspect, it's, it's just the natural outgrowth of that. When you see the gospel, there's no other response than humility. Then out of humility flows gentleness. This word here that's used for gentleness is the same word that we saw in the Beatitudes for blessed are the meek. It can be translated as meekness, gentleness, um, and oftentimes in our society, we think of meekness as weakness, and they are not equivocal. Those are not the same at all. As a matter of fact, when you look at what meekness is, it's power under control. The Greek word used here would have been used back in those days to refer to uh, like a wild stallion that has come under the control of a master. Someone has tamed a wild horse or some sort of wild animal. They've tamed them. And now I'm just going to ask, is that horse no longer as strong as it was before it was tamed? No, it's just as strong as it was before, right? But now the power that that stallion has, that wild stallion now, has the same power, but it's only going to employ that power, only use that power under the control of the master. 
And so that's what we're looking at with gentleness. It doesn't mean that Christians are to be these weaklings who don't have strength. We're, we're to be strong in the spirit, very strong, but it's gotta be strength under control. We have to be self-controlled, which is, again, a part of the fruit of the spirit. And that's gonna help us as we interact with one another, too, to be meek towards one another. Then the next one, with patience. Honestly, I would have loved to have just skipped over patience because uh, let's just say... I'm not the most patient person sometimes. Patience is hard. Again, not that the other two are easy, but patience, being patient, it's hard. Waiting on the Lord's timing, and yet you see all throughout the scriptures people who waited on the Lord's timing, sometimes multiple years, sometimes decades for promises to be fulfilled, and the Lord is faithful. He's faithful to keep his promises. And he's so patient with us. So in response to the patience that he's shown us, we need to respond to others with patience. And we need to respond to others by giving them grace. Here's the reality. I can look in this room and I can see people that I have let down. I've let people down. I've hurt people. I know I have. Praise the Lord that I've received grace from people when I do that. And I know that there are people here that will hurt me and will hurt each other. We're gonna do that. Not necessarily because we're vindictive, but because we're battling against this flesh. And there is an enemy out there. And this enemy desires for disunity in the church. He desires to tear us down, to drive a wedge between brother and sister in Christ. And so when when we let each other down, when we disappoint each other, we need to be patient with one another, knowing that God is so patient with us. We have no other choice but to be patient with one another. And then bearing with one another in love. You have to remember the process by which we're gonna bear with each other is in love. Because Christ has loved us so perfectly, now we have been given the Holy Spirit and are called to love one another. In fact, Jesus says that that will be the marker. People will know we are his by the love that we have for one another. And then look at that word bearing with one another. These terms all presuppose conflict. We're gonna have challenges in our relationships. It's expect it. Expect that we will have challenges, we will have difficulties, we will have those things as we interact with one another. The question is, how are we gonna respond when adversity comes in our relationships? How are we going to respond when the tough times come, when someone lets us down? Are we gonna lord it over them forever? Are we gonna give them grace with the knowledge that I'm gonna let you down or I'll let someone else down. We need grace because we've received grace from the Lord, so we need to give it away to others as well. But bearing with one another in love. And then finally, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So this unity, first of all, let's look at that, eager to maintain unity. That means when, when someone wrongs you, instead of making your first step to be running over and telling, can you believe what, what they just did? They said that? Can you believe it? This is crazy, unbelievable. Instead of us running and telling other people, this is what they did wrong, no. If we're eager to maintain unity, I'm gonna say, hey, I'm gonna go to that person directly because that's what the Bible calls me to do. I'm gonna have a frank conversation saying, hey, what you did there really hurt me. Also, eager to maintain unity means owning it when you mess up, owning it when you're the one that hurts somebody else, saying, I let you down, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Those aren't easy things to say sometimes. It's hard to have those conversations, but if we're eager to maintain unity, 
We'll be willing to have those conversations. We'll do the hard thing, the difficult thing, because the sake of, for the sake of unity in the church. And I love there, it's unity of the spirit, so that, that unity comes from the spirit in the bond of peace. The bond of peace, we've all been given peace. We're at peace now with a holy God, reconciled to a holy God. And then we're told in the scriptures, so far as it concerns you, live at peace with everyone. So because we now have peace with the Father, we can live our lives peaceably with one another. And that leads us then to our next, our next point. If we're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, then, then what does that mean for us doctrinally? So healthy church members are formed by healthy doctrine. This is the next point in the text. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The word one was used seven times there. Seven times the word one was used. Now, it might seem weird to say we're formed by healthy doctrine, but when you think about it, what we believe determines who we will be. And so if we have bad doctrine, if we don't know who our God is, we're going to be formed with a misunderstanding of who God is and we will become, like our, we will become more like that. Whoever our God is, however we, whatever our doctrine is forms us. Whatever we believe in our core will form us into the men and women that we will become. So if we see that in our Godhead there is this unity so we serve a God who is one. We see that in, in the Shema, which is what the Israelites would, would always proclaim. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That was something they would state over and over again. But not only is God one, he's also Trinitarian. There are three persons that make up our God. Three distinct persons, each with a distinct role. But not one is any less God than the others. It's still one God in three distinct persons, and yet they were one. And if you look at this text, verse four is about the Holy Spirit, verse five is about Jesus, and verse six is about the Father. So the Trinity is all in this passage here. It's pretty remarkable when you think about it that way, that, uh, that Paul's being intentional. He's gone from, we need to pursue unity, eager to pursue unity and maintain unity, well, well, essentially, why are we supposed to do that? Because we are designed to reflect God. As a matter of fact, our unity as members reflects the oneness of our God. Well, why is that important? Well, first of all, we're called to be ambassadors of Christ. And so if we are his ambassadors, then we need to be obedient to what he calls us to do. And as I mentioned before, he says that they will know we are his by the love we have for one another. When you look at the high priestly prayer, which for those who aren't aware, that's the prayer that Jesus prayed right before he was arrested. He knew he was going to be arrested and murdered, brutally murdered for our sins. And what he's praying for in that moment is for the unity of the church. He says that they might be one as you and I, Father, are one. That's what he desires. So if we've trusted in Jesus, if we claim to follow Jesus, then what Jesus desires for us needs to be what we desire. 
So we need to desire that oneness as well. And you also look at it, when the Lord establishes institutions, like the church, marriage, family, all these things, when God creates these specific institutions, we're created for his glory. And these institutions are designed to better display certain aspects of our God. And so when we, as the church, are united, we better display his unity. And then this leads us to our third point, healthy church members practice healthy ministry. There's a bit of a shift here. Now Paul says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. All the previous things that we've looked at were not specific for each one. I mean, they apply to each one, but that wasn't Paul's point. Paul's point was the unity, right? Well, now it seems a bit maybe he's moving away from the unity point, but he's actually not. He's saying grace was given to each one of us. So there's the individual aspect of it according to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ's gift are the gifts that we receive from the Spirit in Christ. So when we come to Christ, we are specifically and uniquely empowered and equipped by the Spirit to serve the body of Christ. We are designed to do that. And so as members of the body, if we are neglecting to serve in the ways that he's gifted us, then we're neglecting to walk in a manner worthy of our calling because that's what we are called to do. And it's really interesting because we have unique gifts. We each have a unique part of us that, that God has called us to serve in that capacity, right, in the church. And, it, and it's different for each of us. Sometimes it may be a same type of gift, but it's a different measure. It's, a different, it's gonna play out differently for you than it does for me. And so we have to keep that in mind that each of us have unique gifts, but when we utilize our unique gifts, it's amazing what happens. We see that the result of serving one another as we are equipped, again, with Christ's gift, and as we are called, is a greater unity amidst our diversity. Because we're diverse, we're different people, we're gifted differently, but the way that God has gifted us is that we would use these gifts. His design for the church is that we would use the gifts that he has given us to serve one another. And in doing so, it will foster unity. It's really hard when you're serving other people with, with your, your purest motives, with the intent of bringing glory to the Lord. It's hard for, for you to not be drawn to those people and for people not to respond to you as you serve them in a loving manner. The love is built as we serve one another faithfully as the Lord has gifted us. So it seems almost counterintuitive to say we're all different, but somehow us exercising our uniqueness brings us closer together, but it does. As we exercise the gifts that God has given us, as we utilize them to serve one another for that purpose, the Lord does an incredible thing in our hearts through that process. And so that's what, what happened. We are called to practice healthy ministry. It's really interesting. I was reading up on a study from uh, the Barna Group, uh, and it was from March of 2017. So it was a little over, well, not quite a year and a half ago now. Um, and at that time, um, he was talking about a trend that's happening in Western Christianity and Christianity, particularly in the U.S. And it said, it's a growing trend now. One in 10 people that profess to be Christians uh, claim that they love Christ or they love Jesus, but not his church. So what they're doing is they're saying, I'm committed to Jesus, I'm committed to the Christian teachings, um, to sound doctrine, but 
I'm going to pull myself away from the body of Christ, and I'm just going to focus internally on, on how I can grow in Christ on my own. The article really started to bother me because I thought, that is such backwards thinking. Because here's what happens. When you pull yourself away from the body of Christ, you fail to live as a Christian. Even if you still believe intellectually that, yeah, I'm still a Christian, you're not walking in a manner worthy. You're not walking in the way that God intended. If you read the New Testament, it's all over the New Testament that we are equipped to serve. We see it in Jesus. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So if we're claiming to follow Jesus and we're saying, I love Jesus, I love what Jesus says, but I don't love his church, well then we don't really know what Jesus says. And I think when this trend, and it's, again, it's a growing trend. We're talking about a year and a half ago, those stats came out. I don't know what the number is now, but they're missing out. If you're not plugging into a local church, you're missing out on the beauty that is the church. The beauty that is relationships built on what Christ has designed. Relationships built on serving one another, loving one another well, helping each other out. And that brings me to another thought. When I mentioned earlier spraining my ankle, right? We're a body, multiple members carrying out different parts. Well, the same is true. When I sprain my ankle, this is something that I found really frustrating I'm used to just being able to walk, no problem, no pain, whatever. Well, once I sprain my ankle, now I have to rely on other areas, other parts of my body to compensate. My left leg took much more of a burden than my right leg did. And, um, and so I found I have to rely heavily on this. I had to use a crutch. Sometimes I did, when, it, when I first injured it, I had to lean, literally lean on two brothers to help me get to my car because I, I had to rely on them. I had to rely on other things, other parts of my body to cover up or to help while my bum ankle healed. And sometimes that happens in the church. We have members of the church that, that need to heal. They've been deeply wounded and they have things, they're not in a position where they can be fully utilized. And, and maybe that's you in this place. Uh, for a number of us, if you've got a wound or you have something that you need to heal with, then this is where bearing with one another in love is so beneficial because other people can step up and try to help fill that need so that you can heal. But when you heal, you don't then pull yourself away. When you heal, you jump back in and serve again. You jump right back in. But we're designed in such a way that each person has a unique giftedness to serve in the church. And I think one of the questions that we need to stop asking ourselves is what's in it for me? In our society, there's a real consumerist mentality. I mean, it's, it's rampant, and I've found it in my own heart over and over again. What's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this? Instead of asking that question when it comes to the church, we need to start asking, how is God calling me to pour myself into this church for his sake and for the sake of others? And what I find so fascinating is that when we do that, when we start with that question instead of what's in it for me, instead of walking in saying, man, I, I didn't like what that guy said. It wasn't very good. I hope that sub guy never comes in and preaches again. Um, you know, instead of saying something like that, we might say, all right, Lord, what would you have for me in this church? Because that's what we're designed to do. We're designed to serve, not just be spectators. 
not just be consumers. And what I find so incredible is that when we do that, when we decide, okay, Lord, I'm gonna jump in, I'm gonna serve, we find that we get so much more out of it. So we don't even have to ask that first question, what's in it for me? Because we gain so much more. You gain sweet fellowship with other believers because as you serve alongside of people, friendships are forged in those moments. You have sometimes casual conversations that you never would have had if you weren't serving alongside of that person. So you, you gain friendships, you gain community, sincere community in the, ch- in the church. There are a lot of benefits that come from it and that's what I find so fascinating. We can ask over and over again, what's in it for me? But the question we should be asking is, what's God calling me to do in this place to make a difference for him, for his kingdom? So what's, what's the big deal with all this? Or so what's? We have five commitments and we have um, corresponding blessings with each, with each commitment of a healthy church member. So the first commitment would be seek Jesus consistently. And what that means, I mean, think about it for each of us. When you seek to get to know someone, when you want to get to know someone, for instance, you want to, let's say when you're dating, um, you want to get to know this person that you're dating, you're interested in them. Well, what do you do? You ask questions. You, you allow them to tell you about themselves. You listen to what they have to say. And then you talk to them too. You share what's on your heart. You share what's on your mind. We grow in intimacy with Christ in the same way. We want to hear from him. Open his word. Read his word. Study his word to know him. Not so that we can be puffed up, have more knowledge of the Bible, and, and lord it over people. First of all, if we do, we aren't learning anything from the Bible. But the reality is that's not why we study scriptures. We study the scriptures so that we can know Jesus. And as we know him, then we also will grow in our intimacy with him. When we listen to him, when we pray to him, we share what's on our heart. It's just like Jesus said when he taught us how to pray. Your father knows what you need before you say it. He already knows what's in our heart, but he wants us to tell him anyway. He wants us to go to him. So talk to him, listen to him, hear from him in his word. Be intentional to pray to him, to seek him in that way. Second benefit, second commitment and the blessing, invest relationally. This is critical, and and it's not just critical in the church, but it's certainly critical there, but also outside of the church. We need to have relationships with both those in the body and those outside. Inside the body of Christ, though, the blessings of investing relationally when you're a healthy church member, the blessings, you get encouragement, you get accountability. You get deep friendships where you know that person, and they know you, and they know everything that you've shared. Obviously, they don't know everything about you, but they know enough to be able to make a judgment about you, and yet they love you. You might expect, when I share this, oh man, when I share this, there's no way they're gonna love me anymore. Well, guess what? There's grace and mercy and love, and you experience that as you invest relationally, as you invest yourself in relating well to one another in the body. It's amazing the blessing that you get in response. You get sincere friendships that are lasting. And the next thing, serve faithfully. When we serve others, it's amazing what the Lord does in our hearts in that process. When we decide, I'm gonna put my selfishness aside, I'd much rather sit on the couch and watch the bears. Well, probably not, because the bears are terrible. But if the bears weren't terrible, I'd rather sit on the couch and watch the bears than go and serve these people. And when I push that selfishness aside and I say, no, so-and-so's moving, I'm gonna go help lug some stuff around or find a way just to serve each other, it's amazing selfishness begins to get killed in our hearts. Now again, 
it won't be fully completed. We won't be fully complete in Christ until the day of the Lord, which we see in Philippians, right? But he's doing that work, and we can be confident that he who began that good work in us will be faithful to carry it to completion on that day. But in the meantime, we want to take every step we can to kill selfishness in our own hearts. And the best way to start doing that is by choosing to serve others instead of just serving yourself. Next thing, give sacrificially. And this isn't just giving of money and, and, and that, that's part of it, but, but being willing to give of yourself sacrificially for others. When we give ourselves away, it, it helps us to shift our focus from the temporal to the eternal. And what I mean by this, I'll, I'll use uh, just a quick illustration. Uh, there was a, a time in my life, um, I, played, I played drums, and I, I was pretty obsessed with drums to a point where like, I was dreaming about my drums regularly. So like, it was in a subconscious level, I was, like, I was all about my drums. And I started to realize, as stupid as this sounds, my, my drums were like, becoming an idol in my life. And I never saw that coming. But it was like, I would wear gloves when I put my cymbals on. Like, I wanted to do everything meticulously, keep it pristine. It's just a thing. And that's what ended up happening. I, it, I got to a place where I was like, I'm like obsessing over drums. This is weird. I got to do something about this. And so there, there came an opportunity for, for me to give away a drum set. And it was amazing what that did. Um, I realized there's a, there's a bigger purpose in this, and it's, it's just a thing. But it was like, all-consuming for me in a, weird, in a weird way. I know drums are stupid, but, um, but in my mind, it was everything at that moment. But when, when, I, when I let go of that, it allowed me to shift, hey, that's, it's just a thing. And if it can bless somebody else, you know what? Great. Let them have it. And, and what we find when we give, our, whether it's our money, we start giving money away, we realize this isn't my money anyway. The Lord has entrusted it to me, and he's calling me to use it to advance the kingdom. And whatever that might look like. So if I feel a prompting in my heart, I need to be obedient to that. I need to be faithful to give sacrificially, give of myself, give of my time even when I don't want to. And when we do that, again, we start to see the kingdom being built around us and we see how the Lord is using our resources, using our time, our energy to build up his body and to establish his kingdom here. And it is so life-giving when that happens. And it starts to shift. We start to stop worrying about these temporal things that can weigh us down and we start to fix our eyes more on the eternal. And then the fifth thing, grow spiritually. And the reality is that's just the natural byproduct of the other four. You will grow spiritually in your life if as a committed member you are doing those things. So now I wanna just shift gears a little bit and talk specifically about benefits of membership here at Village Church. So there's a few specific things here at the church that are that are beneficial as far as being an official member here. First one is ministry opportunities. Now there are many in this room that serve faithfully um, in various capacities that may not be official members. And I know that in fact after first service, I had some people come up to me talking to me afterwards about how they've served faithfully and uh, they've been here for years and um, they basically function as members even though they're not members. And then they followed up with, but we're becoming members right now. So it was encouraging to hear that, but the reality is you can serve in a lot of ways, but there are certain areas of service in the church here that are, are not available unless you're a member. And those are elder, deacon, community group leaders, ministry directors. So there are certain levels of, like, of leadership in the church that, that you're not able to serve in those capacities if you're not a member. Another one is ministry ownership. The culture of the church 
again, I said it before and I'll say it again, the direction of, of where we're going individually, if we're trending healthy as members, so goes the church. So the ministry of the church, if we want the ministry of this church to be fruitful, then as members, we've got to own that. We've got to do our part to own that. And that actually, it's really fitting this timing of this sermon because we have a vote coming up next, nope, September, not next month, in September on a new constitution. And this is, as members of the church, this is an opportunity where, where ministry ownership comes in a big way. You're voting on this constitution, so it's a way to help shape the direction of the future of the church. And when you're a member and committed in that way, it is very helpful to be able to have that say, and, and it's a responsibility that we have as members of the church. And then spiritual leadership and protection. That's another one. Now, just so you know, as, as a pastor on staff and, and with the other pastors, if you're not a member of this church, that doesn't mean we don't care about you. That doesn't mean we're not going to care for you. We're called to serve the body of Christ, period, and we're all called to serve one another. So we're not gonna kick you to the curb if you're not a member. Just make sure you understand that. But there is a specific call that we have as staff and the elders of the church and pastors that, that we are to provide spiritual leadership and protection for the members of the church. And we see that all throughout the scriptures. And again, there is a membership of the church universal, but it plays itself out practically in the local church context. So you're a member of the church universally, a member of the body of Christ if you've trusted in Jesus. But then you can become a member of a local church body, a committed member of that local church by taking that step. And finally, it's a committed spiritual family. And that's what you get in the church. You're committed to one another. I actually think it's similar to a marriage, right? If When it comes to my wife and I, when we were dating, um, if we came upon rough times, thankfully she didn't bail. Um, I didn't bail either, but, but if we come upon rough times, you know, challenges or disagreements, when you're not committed to one another, when you haven't made those vows to each other, it's a lot easier to consider, all right, I'm out. Or you may not say that, but you know that you kind of have an out if things get tough. But once you've made that vow, once you've committed yourself to your spouse, you're all in. You're all in, and when those tough times come, you realize, I'm fighting through this because that's what I'm called to do, and I'm gonna fight for my marriage. We're gonna fight for one another. We're gonna serve one another. We're gonna love one another. We are one, according to the scriptures, right? My wife and I, we're one flesh now. So that unity, I'm gonna fight for our unity in our marriage. We have all these blessings in that regard, and we are fully committed to one another. Now, do Amanda and I have conflict in our marriage? Of course not. Good answer. I'll pay you later for that answer. No, of course we have conflict in our marriage, right? Each, every single married person in this room can attest to the fact that you're gonna have conflict in your marriage. And the same is true as committed members of the body of Christ. We will have conflict. But how we respond to that conflict as it comes up is going to be absolutely critical in determining the trajectory of where the church moves. Because again, as members, we need to be pursuing unity, eager to maintain that unity. But when we're in the church, again, when we have that conflict, we work through it because we're all in and we're committed to one another. And that's the point. We need to be all in and committed to one another because our cause is eternal. It's not temporal. Our cause, our why, the why we do this 
is to make much of Jesus because he gave everything he had to make a way for us. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for, for loving us in such a way that we could become members of, your, of the body of Christ. We thank you for the privilege that we have to be now called your sons and daughters, sinners, broken sinners, that your word clearly says had no desire to know you. We were enemies of God. Enemies of God. And yet you made a way through Jesus that we could be reconciled. No longer enemies, but now your sons and your daughters because of what Jesus did for us in obedience to you, in submission to your will. We pray, Lord, that as we've seen the sacrificial love and as we've experienced it firsthand from you, we pray that you would empower us through your spirit to walk our lives out in a manner worthy of that same calling so that we might make much of you, Jesus. We love you and we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.